Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Taking the wrong flag down, mate. Yeah, I don't know that. Really know that. At least you know that. 100%. Now, I don't know if you heard the reply from the two workmen on the top of the cherry picker. We know that is their reply. Those three words fill me with hope. They tell me that ordinary people see through, right through this woke virtue signaling. They know there's something off about the pride flag and its current iteration, which incorporates black and brown for the violent Marxist Black Lives Matter movement and blue and pink for the radical transgender movement. Those three words, we know that, should strike fear into the hearts of the radicals who have foisted this ideology on us relentlessly since marriage was degendered in law over the last decade. Despite being coerced to pull down the British flag and replace it with a radical flag of the sexual Marxist identity politics, they still have the good sense to tell a passerby, we know that. Common sense lives. Mainstream people are not buying the propaganda. That should fill us all with renewed hope. Well, welcome to The Lyle Shelton Show. It's great to have your company here on ADH TV. I'm Lyle Shelton, the National Director of the Family First Political Party. I've got a massive show this week. In a moment, I'll be speaking to one of the authors of a bill that's currently before the federal parliament designed to stop the brutal practice of leaving babies born alive after failed abortion, just leaving them to die. Senator Alex Antic will join me from Canberra. My New Zealand correspondent, Bob McCroskery, will beam in from across the ditch where two nationals politicians have landed themselves in hot water for saying that mothers and fathers should look after their children and that New Zealanders should have more babies. What's wrong with that, I hear you say? Well, hopefully Bob can help us make sense of the trans-Tasman fuss. Kirley Smith of Binary will join me for the latest in the pernicious war the radicals are waging against women and girls. You won't want to miss any of this, so don't touch that dial. Now, speaking of things that are more than just a bit off, Joe Biden hosted a Pride Month event at the White House last weekend. And a warning, some of the footage I'm about to show is confronting. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. <laughs> Can we take a little video? Hi, Mr. President. It is an honor, France rights for human rights. Are we topless at the White House? Some of the bravest and most inspiring people I've ever known. Now, 
Now, what you just saw there is obviously a desecration of the White House and it offends the sensibilities of civil society. The video was posted by Rose Montoya, a man with fake breasts who identifies as a woman. He was flanked in the video by two women who bear the scars of having had their breasts sliced off in an attempt to present as men. The tragedy for these women is they will never be able to breastfeed babies and Rose Montoya has probably lost his sexual function for life. The White House later announced that the three would be banned from future events at the White House because of that stunt. But Montoya was unrepent unrepentant. Uh, he said this, he said, my trans masculine friends were showing off their top surgery scars. Now top surgery is an LGBTIQA plus euphemism for cutting the breasts of women and young girls. And he goes on to say, and living in joy and I wanted to join them. And because it is perfectly within the law of Washington DC to go topless, I decided to join them. I was simply living my joy and my truth and existing in my body, end quote. We're, we're only just uh, over halfway through this global World Pride Month, but it is clear it is a toxic festival that should not be celebrated in any civil society. LGBTIQA plus political activists care nothing for the well-being of children. Take a look at this. Now we need to speak plainly about what is going on. Mixing animals, people and sex is disgusting. Adding children into the mix, as was done at the Boston Pride Parade, that footage you just saw, is despicable and it's unspeakable. Remember, this is not just for the Only in America file. Uh, in February of this year, uh, the Liberal Perite government here in New South Wales funded animal-themed sex parties and drag queen storytime events for children as part of Sydney World Pride. Pride Month celebrates a bizarre sex cult involving the mutilation of women and girls and sick autogynephilic males like Rose Montoya. Autogynephilia, for those who don't know, is a condition in which men are sexually aroused by identifying as women. This religion was invited into the White House at the weekend. It's in the face of children in the streets of major cities around the world. It's time we reassessed the place of the so-called pride flag in civil society. The workers on the cherry picker in Britain get it. If only our elites and politicians could also get it. Thank you for your consideration of this bill. The indisputable fact that hundreds of Australian babies survive abortion, are born alive but left to die, often, often in harrowing circumstances, is without a doubt one of the most significant human rights issues of our day. Well, that was Michelle Pearce, the new CEO of the Australian Christian Lobby, giving evidence at a Senate hearing in Canberra last week into a bill designed to abolish the grisly practice of leaving babies born alive after failed abortions to die. Yes, folks, this actually happens in Australia. As I mentioned on last week's show, the bill had its origins in the work of courageous Liberal State MPs Nick Goyran in Western Australia and Dr Mark Robinson in Queensland, who first exposed that this was occurring on a large scale. Before he left Parliament, uh, my friend George Christensen, the former member for Dawson in North Queensland, put forward legislation to protect these babies, which sadly went nowhere under the Morrison government. It lacked the support of Scott Morrison personally, which will come as a shock to many of 
of his Christian supporters, and it lacked the support of most of his Liberals and National colleagues. The Human Rights Children Born Alive Protection Bill 2022 was resurrected late last year by three Senators, Liberal Alex Antic, National's Matt Canavan, and UAP Senator Ralph Babette. Senator Alex Antic joins me from Canberra now. Congratulations, Senator, on getting this bill to a Senate hearing. That in itself is a big achievement, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, Lyle. Look, it is. It's, um, it's really been one of the most important steps along the way. But, I mean, none of it would have happened, of course, if it wasn't for the brave work of the people you just mentioned, all the way back through to Mark Robinson and, uh, and of course, George Christensen, who uh, is not with the Parliament anymore, but really set the bar high to try to get this, uh, get this through the lower, lower house, the House of Reps. Uh, and I was actually sitting in the Federation Chamber with him a couple of years ago, I think, when he um, when he introduced the bill for the first time. It, it didn't go anywhere, sadly, but um, his colleague, our friend, um, Senator Matt Canavan, decided we should all be pulling this back up by the bootstraps and trying to put it back through the Parliament in a different way, which is through the Senate, uh, through a private member's bill. And um, the three of us have done that. And it, it is, you know, we have to be realistic with the expectations on this. I mean, we shouldn't really be. This should just be an absolute lay down there because of the awful nature of what we're talking about with um, this practice that people just simply don't know exists. But at least we're getting these stories told, at least we're getting them out there, we're getting them um, some publicity and we're gonna get a committee report drawn up um, you know, to, to, to discuss the bill. And I think it's a very sensible bill and it's, it's a privilege to be part of it. Yeah, look, it, it is a very sensible bill and um, we're all really thankful to you and uh, your colleagues for, for resurrecting it. How difficult was it to, to get this uh, to a Senate hearing, uh, Alex? Um, I, I understand you know, that would have had to have uh, been voted on, uh, there would have had to have been support you know, from uh, Labor and the crossbench, presumably, to, to even get it, yeah. get it to a Senate inquiry. Yeah, look, not, not as hard as we might have thought, Lyle. I mean, it actually did pass, I think, reasonably comfortably in the end with a bit of support from the crossbench. So uh, surprisingly, not, not that difficult. I think there is one of the benefits, I suppose, of the Senate. I think there is value in this is there is a, a little bit more of an investigative collegiate approach to some of these bills. It's, it's not as difficult as it might be sometimes thought of in the outside world to get these things to a committee. Uh, because that really is the nature of and the purpose of the Senate. Really, it's a House of Review. It's designed to do this, to review legislation. It's gone to a committee that Labor uh, have the numbers in. So, you know, I think being being realistic about it, I'd expect a, a report which, uh, you know, isn't favourable. But, you know, it does give us the opportunity to dissent uh, and to uh, get some of the really good points that were made by the Australian Christian lobby with that clip you ran earlier on and also Love Adelaide. Um, and some of the many other good people that came along and uh, and gave gave a really good synopsis of where we're up to. Dr Joanna Howe, who I think you've spoken to as well, who was masterful in her submission to uh, uh, to the um, to the to the committee as well. So there was there were some really good people involved, and we want to make sure we honour that uh, that evidence in the, in the report. Yeah, well, that, that's really great to hear, Alex, and it certainly does restore hope in our system and, and also those of us, those who are opponents of uh, the views that you and I hold in this, are at least willing to have the discussion. So, so that's really commendable of the Senate to allow that. Now, Alex, when George Christensen first raised this in the Parliament, um, supporters of abortion tried to say that babies were not being born alive after failed abortions and left to, to die. They tried to say nothing to see here. Now, um, after last week's hearings, is anyone still denying that this happens? Yeah, look, I wish they were right, Lyle. I, I, I wish you know, that was the case, but sadly it doesn't appear that is the case. And, and I, I must admit, I mean, like a lot of Australians a few years back, I was quite oblivious to this practice as well. I mean, I 
I, I think one of the problems has been, in, you know, with the advocacy work you did in a, in a previous life, you'd know how difficult it is to get the data on some of these things. I mean, the, the data on the funding of um, terminations, abortions generally is very hard to come by, but it's also hard to come by here as well. But George uh, did some work with the Parliamentary Library, uh, and I know some of the others that were involved here did some work, and I think they showed something like 700 of these were done in a 10-year period through a couple of states. I think it might have been Queensland and Victoria. Um, now, look, the data's rubbery, and of course, when there's rubbery data, there's always the opportunity to hide behind it and say, well, none of it's right. The reality is this practice does occur. Um, we've had you know, eyewitness testimony from, from nurses that have been involved in that at the March for Life that I attend every year with Love Adelaide. Um, the, the, there is a, a nurse there that often gives this awful synopsis of what she saw when she was simply left to required to leave a, a newborn baby that was the um, that had survived an abortion just simply to 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 pass away. And when she took a photo of it, um, as she was told to by by the hospital, it uh, it sort of woke up, or she, or he. I don't know. I don't know what the gender was, but. Um, and then there's, of the course, the story of uh, Jessica Jane, who um, spent 80 hours in in uh, kind of limbo, uh, only to be, I think, um, kind of comforted by the nurse uh, at the end of all of that. I mean, these are terrible stories, yeah. and, and anyone who hears them um, will understand how, how important this is. Luckily, in some states, this legislation does already exist at state level, uh, and, it, and it does exist in my home state of South Australia, which was one of the the very, very, very few um, minor amendments that were a good thing to the termination of pregnancy bill, the abortion to birth bill that we endured and is now law in South Australia, unbelievably, as of two years ago. But there is a provision in there to require doctors to provide medical care for children born uh, alive after an abortion. But it doesn't exist all across the country. And this bill, if passed, um, would seek to remedy that in every state. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now, you, you uh, had an interesting exchange with one of the witnesses from uh, the pro-abortion uh, lawyers group. Uh, let's take a look at this clip. So men can get pregnant. There are people who do not identify as women who in some circumstances can become pregnant. Uh, you want to quote me as um, saying men can become pregnant? No, no, I'm just asking. We're looking at evidence-based, uh, you know, you love data and evidence, and I just thought I'd clarify the parameters of who we're dealing with, so. Hey, Senator, so, so um, just, just to be clear, um, a preponderance of people who are pregnancy capable are women and girls, but there are people who don't identify as women or girls who are capable of becoming pregnant. They are not large in number, but we do not wish to deny their existence. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's about all you can say, isn't it, Alex? Um, when, when, your, when your colleagues uh, see this stuff, and, and you've you've you know put this question to health bureaucrats and woke people uh, quite a lot in the last year or so, and good on you for doing it. Is it? Is it causing any of your colleagues to reflect on this LGBTIQA plus gender fluid um, ideology and, and rethink, you know, this idea that gender is this limitless fluid experience that people can go in and out of? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how many on, on my side of the chamber really sort of buy into much of that. I think the problem is cracking the concrete bubble like uh, structure that is parliament to, to get people talking about things that people are talking about in the real world. So. You know, I, I find that it's all too easy for people to walk in here and just sort of, you know, start on whatever issue the media have fed down the pipe for the day without actually sort of getting to these other issues. And 
and not tiptoeing around them. And that's a part of the problem. You know, we, I spoke yesterday in the chamber about Pride Month and what this is really about. You know, let's not fool ourselves. We all want the best for LGBT people. There's no question about that. But let's not allow corporate rainbow washing to, uh, you know, to sort of roll over the top of us and make us feel guilty about everything when, you know, we're spending a whole month doing that and we get one day for Anzac Day, if you don't mind. So where are our priorities in this country? I think this stuff does, it, look, it does get overlooked a little bit in this building. And, and I have to say the frustration I do have is that too often it is, you know, treated as just a culture war, you know, and, and the culture warriors are not real politicians. The real politicians are the people who, you know, delve headfirst into budget lines and, you know, whatever you know, the machinations of this place are on a daily basis that's making the news cycle, you know, the whatever the issue is. I, I Look, I try not to get distracted by some of that stuff as much as I can because I think there is a bigger issue playing out here along on global lines, along with these sorts of LGBTI type, you know, issues, along with global issues with the WHO and other things. And I try to bring that back to this place as much as I can to try and refocus some attention. Is it working? I don't know, Lyle, it's probably just an angry man shouting down a tube to nobody, but, uh, you know, we've got to try. You know, if you're given the privilege of being in this place, you, you've, got to, you've got to speak your mind. No, absolutely, Alex, and uh, millions of us appreciate the fact that you do do it in that place, uh, in a place where uh, it's often hostile to those views. And I can tell you the mums and dads out there and our migrant communities, they know that men can't get pregnant despite what those human rights lawyers <laughs> say. Um, just back to your bill, Alex, where does the Human Rights Children Born Alive Protection Bill 2022 go from here? Is it likely to be debated on the floor of the Senate? Does it have a chance of passing? Well, look, they're, they're good questions. From here, as I said, there'll be a, a committee report de delivered and presumably a dissenting report. I mean, I don't know, but I would expect that. Um, uh, and from there, it will go back into the list. And look, the three of us, uh, you know, Senator Canavan, who's been pushing hard for this, and Senator Ralph Babbitt from the UAP. And just by the way, this is a very cross-party bill. If you look at that, we've got a National, a Liberal and a United Australia Party senator here. So never let it be said that there can't be good work done on all sides of uh, politics. But um, so, and, and look, we will be moving to try and get that to a vote, uh, get that uh, to, to the floor of the Senate. Um, what happens from there? I don't know yet. I don't know if this is going to be picked up by our side. We'll certainly be pushing for it to be. If it is, then it becomes the usual question of trying to gather enough support from, um, you know, the other side. And let me give you, I'm, I'm going to look into the crystal ball here, Lyle, and I'm going to say to you, I reckon there's a pretty slim chance Labor and the Greens are going to support this. I mean, I call me a mind reader, but I, I reckon that's probably right. On, on what basis, we simply don't know. I expect mm. probably on the basis of the the, the the sort of things we saw from the other side of the debate during that hearing, which were the arguments against this were, it's not actually a problem, it's a solution looking for a problem, this doesn't exist. Uh, this is just importing US-style culture wars into Australia, and that's dangerous, uh, and it, it'll interfere with reproductive rights, none of which are correct, of course, mm. but... Uh, those arguments will be used to vote against it. So really the game will be uh, gaining uh, the support of One Nation, which, you know, you would imagine they would be comfortable with, and then the likes of Pocock and the, the Lambie Alliance as well. So you know, that, that'll, be a, that'll be a discussion for those of us that are pushing the bill. But we'll be trying. Uh, we'll certainly be trying our best. Yeah, that's fascinating to get that insight. So, uh, it, you know, it would be a really wonderful thing if the media would do its job and ask Labor and the Greens yeah. to, you know, explain why they think it's uh, that babies aren't being born alive and left to die, why the data is wrong, and uh, to get past mm. these, you know, culture war excuses. Uh, it'll also be interesting to see what, um, what, as you say, David Pocock, Jackie Lambie Alliance and uh, One Nation do. I think One Nation should be fine, but... Um, 
we'll certainly keep our um, viewers up to date uh, with that. Um, Alex, uh, really appreciate what you've done. Um, uh, just before we go, there's, there's one really burning issue in Canberra, which, um, which I think affects the whole nation, and that is this takeover of the Calvary Hospital. I'm sure you've been following that. I think it sets a terrible yep. precedent. It's just the use of raw power by uh, mm-hmm. a government that is bigoted against Christianity and its moral views on uh, the, its pro-life position on abortion and euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see this playing out? Will the federal government get involved? Will there be some sort of Senate inquiry into uh, what's you know happening there uh, by the ACT government? Well, once again, it's good timing, actually, Lyle, because once again, there are a couple of uh, motions before the Senate today. Once again, one led by uh, the great Senator from Queensland, Matt Canavan, who's um, calling for there to be an inquiry into this and calling for further action. And there's a number of signatories. I'm one of them, of course. Uh, and because uh, I, I, I agree, I feel very strongly about this kind of interjection of uh, you know, of, uh, of federal power into what is basically a faith-based arena. And, uh, you know, I think we know what's really at play here. It sort of ties in with the, the push we've seen from this government against uh, Christian schools uh, with the work the ALRC has done. Uh, there's, there's a sort of a theme developing here which people need to be con- concerned about and conscious of. Uh, and so we'll, we'll go through that process. I hope that uh, that, bill, that, uh, that motion gets through today. What it would do is is call for a uh, call for an inquiry into this, which of course would you know would hopefully hold it in its train. And and look, I, I think um, you know the government should uh, you know should should leave this alone. I, I just I don't see I don't see what sort of message this sends. This is a power that's not often used. It would be required to be used to uh, you know to to uh, over you know to, to uh, acquire if you like the hospital. Um, I think it's a very cynical grab and uh, I don't support it and I'll be doing what I can along with a, a lot of other people from our side of the chamber who feel strongly about this as well. Yeah, well, good on you, Alex. Look, um, thanks so much for giving you the time today on a busy Senate uh, here, a Senate uh, sitting day in Canberra. Um, your work on the pro-life front is greatly appreciated. Of course, what you're doing with Calvary and so many other so-called culture war issues, these are the real issues of policy, of politics that people yeah. are concerned about. So thanks so much, Alex, for your time today. Thanks, Lyle. Keep up the great work with the show. You're doing well. Thank you. Well, joining me now is my New Zealand correspondent, Bob McCroskery from Family First New Zealand. Bob, you and I have enjoyed a friendship for many years as happy warriors in the trenches of the culture wars. And you've been on a you've been a guest on this program before. Um, but for those who don't know about you and Family First, tell us a little bit about yourself and your organisation. Well, Family First is not a political party like in Australia. Uh, it's a little bit more like the Australian Christian lobby. And of course, that's where we first came into contact with each other. So we're an advocacy group, lobby group for family issues, uh, recently deregistered by the government as a charity after a 10-year fight, which went all the way to the Supreme Court, because we believe that uh, in the traditional family, the natural family, mums and dads, and we also believe in traditional marriage, one man, one woman, uh, that has no public benefit, unlike environmentalism and human rights and diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, Those are the new religions in the state. So we were deregistered. But to be honest, Lyle, um, nothing better than to be cancelled because you have a newfound freedom. Yeah, no, it's fantastic, Bob. You are the last line of resistance over there and really flying the flag. And there's always time, Bob, for you to become a political party, but uh, that's a discussion for another day. Um, now, the culture I'm wars... i just trying to think of a name. <laughs> uh, the great name, Family First. Uh, people need to vote for something. But uh, 
Bob, the, um, the, the culture wars run really hot in your country, as you were just saying, you were deregistered, cancel culture, etc. Now, um, a couple of your conservative national MPs have found themselves in trouble, um, one in particular because he had the temerity to say that mothers and fathers should be responsible for raising their children. Take a look. Each tonight, it is the responsibility of the mother and the father, and I've been very deliberate with my language there, the mother and the father to raise the child. Now, Bob, what's wrong with that? Yeah, shocking, eh? I mean, those are just terrible words. Uh, he said he was uh, just trying to make the point that fathers, who are often the ones paying child support, which was the law that they were talking about, child support, fathers need to be involved in raising their children. Uh, he was accused that he was suggesting that same-sex couples shouldn't be raising children. Um, and he is a social conservative MP. He's voted against abortion. Uh, he put up a post celebrating the down overturning of Roe v Wade uh, and got told to pull it down by the leader of the National Party. He voted against euthanasia, voted, was one of the few MPs, about seven, I think, that voted against the uh, horrific conversion therapy ban that we have in New Zealand. So he is a so one of the few social conservatives we have in Parliament now. But he got the backing of his uh, leader, Christopher Luxon, on this particular one. Um, and Christopher Luxon said, look, he's just trying to um, he's trying to beat up on deadbeat dads who need to step up and take responsibility for their children. But all the reporters could talk about was the homophobia and, uh, you know, that it was homophobic uh, comments. Now, I took the time to actually go and examine other speeches during this same debate. And lo and behold, I found that Labor left-wing MPs, including two senior Labor MPs, used the same uh, terms, mums and dads, and they ignored same-sex parents as well. I mean, it was just shocking. Yeah. Uh, and what we really learned from all of this, Lyle, is that when you mention mothers and fathers in Parliament, uh, it causes a major storm. That's how wacky our politicians have become. Uh, apparently, homophobia is everywhere to be seen, and even if you can't see it, call it out anyway. But, but the interesting thing is that if you use the term mother and father in parliament, that's fine. But if you're a social conservative and you use the term mother and father in parliament, you'll be labelled homophobic. Yeah. Uh, why? Mm. Because they want social conservatives to shut up. Uh, and I just would say to people, ignore them, keep talking about mothers, fathers, strong marriages and families. I tweeted on the night, every child has a biological mother and a biological father, and that's a fact. Fantastic, Bob. No, well, it's so important we keep the public space open for that discussion and, and not, don't allow them to silence us. So good on it. Simon O'Connor, I believe, is the, was the MP in question. And uh, you said that Christopher Luxon, the uh, leader of the Nationals Party over there in New Zealand, um, uh, backed him. So that's great, Christopher Luxon. Uh, now, he's uh, the opposition leader, former CEO of Air New Zealand. He also got himself into hot water by saying that New Zealanders needed to have more babies. Yeah, he was at an infrastructure conference in Christchurch and um, they were talking about levels of immigration and he was simply making the point that our fertility rate uh, is rock bottom. It's around 1.66. Now, it needs to be 2.1 to replace your population uh, and it's been declining basically since I was born. Well, Bob, so let's, uh, I think we've got... Years, all right, well, let's just take a look at what Christopher Luxon said. He, he said this, he said, I encourage all of you to go out there and have more babies if you wish. That would be helpful, end quote. Mm. Now, again, Bob, you know, what's wrong with that? 
Yeah, I mean, he's basically alluding to the fact that our fertility rate is rock bottom and uh, that one of the ways that we can fix this as uh, and it's not only New Zealand. I know that Australia is facing the same issue. I know that Singapore, Japan, uh, there are many countries. Hungary uh, tackled this head on with specific incentives to have more children. And that's because you can't rely on immigration for uh, people in your country. I mean, New Zealand's got an aging population. I mean, somebody's got to pay my retirement, Lyle, <laughs> and it's going to have to be the younger workforce. Uh, but the problem is that we're not replacing our population and we can't totally rely on immigration because um, fertility rates are at rock bottom uh, around the majority of countries around the world. So we're all competing for the same immigration market. And at some stage, we actually need to say, gee, maybe we should be taking more responsibility to replace ourselves naturally. And that's really the point he was uh, making. But Oh boy, I tell you, the media took it as uh, that he was stamping down on their reproductive rights. Uh, they compared him to Hitler and Nazi pro fertility programs for Aryan children. Uh, you know, it, they just threw every label they could. And part of the reason they did it is because previously Chris Luxon has come out and said that he believes he's pro-life. He says that he believes abortion is tantamount to murder. Uh, he won't do anything about the law if he becomes prime minister, but he does say he has pro-life principles and so the media are just out to capture anything that talks about um, women, pregnancy, reproductive rights, all that and so they just took this as a chance to have a go at him and, and most people New Zealanders saw it for what it was, it was a, a big beat up. Even the guy that was interviewing him who's a, um, a left-wing interviewer on television New Zealand wrote an article saying look I was there it was tongue-in-cheek. The audience laughed. They understood what he was saying. But, hey, the media took the opportunity to just um, have a go at him. Yeah, look, again, as, as with um, his colleague, uh, just the effort to shut down debate, to, to reach for the Nazi slur, to try and say that anything that is socially conservative uh, has overtones of Hitlerism, it's just unbelievable. Uh, but good on him, and um, let's hope that Christopher Luxon is able to form government in, in six months' time. It seems his instincts are in the right direction. Um, Bob, um, Global Pride Month, sadly, has found its way also to New Zealand. Um, what are the drag queens up to in your country? Well, the uh, Inside Out, which is part of Rainbow Youth, which is the groups that go into schools to indoctrinate them with radical uh, sexuality and gender theory, telling them they've, that there's 112 genders and more than 200 sexualities to choose from. Uh, they've got Pride Week this week in schools. The good news is that only 12% of schools have actually uh, taken up this Pride Week, which is actually good. Most schools just want to get on with teaching kids and caring for all students. But as part of Pride Week, there's stickers to, stickers to celebrate transgender, non-binary, gay, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, asexual, aromantic, and it's based on the kereru. Now, you may not be aware, but the kereru is a bird uh, in New Zealand, uh, and apparently it's a pride symbol. Um, that's apparently what the kereru bird is. Uh, there's also colouring books about gender and sex on a spectrum, the gay flag, kinky boots and drag queens. And then they recommend books for kids to read. Uh, there's a book, George, which is about a boy who knows she's a girl, a boy who knows she's a girl, and one uh, called Ask Me About Polyamory. But um, oh, polyamory, to, Bob. That's um, that's sex with multiple partners. Um, this this is in the schools yeah, as well. Yeah. On top of all that uh, pride this stuff, is in primary and Telling secondary kids, schools. 
polyamory, unbelievable. You know, we, we were laughed at during the marriage campaign here in Australia when we said that if you say that, you know, marriage equality, love is yeah. love, what, what about, you know, more than two people? They said that will never yeah. happen. And here they are teaching it in New Zealand schools in Pride Week. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Bob, yeah. you, you, you uh, but also had another you... image that you sent me that was quite disturbing as well. Um, can, just tell us about that and, and a warning to our viewers. But, uh, but I think, Bob, we've got to... We've got to expose these deeds of darkness. Yeah, so one of the programs with Pride Week is that they're having a Pride Week drag panel called School Them, uh, which is actually um, this week and it's at night and it's for teenagers, 13 plus. Join us, they say, as we sashay our way into the diverse drag scene, uh, all about artistry, identity, representation and pride. Uh, and it features uh, drag queens, Will Smackintosh, Jack Swallows, and this charming image of Miss Gina. Uh, and this is Miss Gina. This is yep. what, uh, how she displays herself. And look, I apologise that that is an offensive image, but that's an image that kids will find when they go looking for Miss Gina because she's apparently the role model for... Uh, you know, teenagers to to model their drag queen career on. Uh, and to your viewers, I would just say, uh, look, you may be offended by that image. You should be more offended by the fact that this curriculum is going into schools. Uh, but, you know, with names like that, um, the name Lyle Shelton is never going to make the cut as a drag queen, I'm sorry <laughs> to say, Lyle. Thank you for pointing that out, Bob. It's very um, boring. Yeah, well, look, you certainly have no aspirations of that. And we do apologise to our viewers, but, well, we sort of do, but don't, because sadly we need to uh, wake up and realise what people like Miss Gina are doing. And, of course, Miss Gina is a bloke. Uh, Bob, uh, that's all we've got time for today, but uh, really appreciate you spending this time with us, uh, updating us on what's happening across uh, there in New Zealand, and we'll certainly get you back again. Bob McCroskey from Family First New Zealand, thanks so much. Thanks, Lyle. Well, joining me now for our regular update on the war against women and girls is Kiralee Smith of Binary. Kiralee, Craig Tiley of Tennis Australia. What on earth is going on? Oh, Lyle, it's unbelievable. A male boss of Tennis Australia is insisting that he will be advocating for males who appropriate female stereotypes to be allowed to play tennis in Australia at whatever level, even though the international tennis rules uh, are against having those male uh, players in female competitions. But uh, it, it is mind-boggling that a man like that would insist that other men should be allowed to play in the women's division. Well, let's hear what a woman tennis player like Serena Williams has to say about this. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster, and me and um, they they get they serve harder, they hit harder. It's just a different game. And I love to play women's tennis, and I I only want to play girls because I don't want to be embarrassed. I would not do the tour. It makes you wonder, Kiralee, what does Craig Tiley know that Serena doesn't? Uh, exactly, and we all know that there are so many physiological physiological differences between males and females. We know that the top serve in tennis for a male is about 263 kilometres an hour, whereas the top female serve is only 220 kilometres an hour. We've got footage on our website at the moment of, uh, you know, even mixed games where the males, when they serve, the women can't return those serves. It is utterly ridiculous. It's not fair. And as Serena Williams said, it's almost like a completely different sport. Yeah. Well, look, let's hope common sense prevails and uh, that Craig Tiley, uh, he, he will 
will definitely find himself on the wrong side of history here. But uh, let's uh, watch this space. Now, Kiralee, um, in Queensland, uh, a psychiatrist at the Queensland Children's Hospital, Gillian Spencer, was stood down from clinical duties in mid-April following a patient's complaint after she questioned the use of puberty blockers without appropriate mental health assessment. Uh, here's Gillian Spencer at the Let Women Speak rally in Canberra recently. Even little, even little kids are being encouraged to contemplate their gender. There is no scientific evidence to support such a thing as a gender identity. Kiralee, this is pretty disturbing stuff, especially when doctors are both here in Australia and overseas are now openly questioning the gender-affirming approach. There's lots of evidence of the damage it's doing to children. And yet the Queensland Children's Hospital has suspended this brave woman uh, for speaking out. Yeah, look, it's absolutely staggering. We know that countries like, you know, the UK, Finland, the Netherlands, uh, Sweden, they've all paused these treatments for children because the evidence is uh, showing us that when we use these puberty blockers off-label, mind you, uh, it does cause it really serious issues like sterility and no sexual function and brain and bone development issues. So for, for uh, this lady to be suspended or, or sacked from her job in Queensland uh, for speaking truth and for having concern for particularly these children who are often neurodiverse, they have autism, they have trauma, they have depression, they have other mental health issues and she simply wants those issues addressed first and foremost is it's just unconscionable. It is absolutely unconscionable. And um, the other thing that really struck me about that footage we just saw, that was that rally in Canberra with uh, Posey Parker. Uh, it was part of that series of rallies that got uh, more redeeming into trouble uh, in Victoria. But the thing that amazes me, all the media, the Canberra Press Gallery were there. They heard Gillian Spencer, a, a, a psychiatrist, give her expert opinion on what this is doing to children. And that wasn't covered uh, in the mainstream media back in April. Th that part of the debate, they they'd rather show Lydia Thorpe, who gatecrashed that rally crawling around on the grass, than um, show what a, a qualified psychiatrist has to say about what these protocols are doing to children. It's, um, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> It is. They ignore the psychologists and psychiatrists. They ignore the uh, paediatric specialists like Dr Dylan Wilson. They ignore our Olympic champion like Deborah Ackerson. They ignore the people in this space who have experience, who have qualifications, who have authority, all for the sake of their narrative that uh, that biological sex no longer matters. Yeah, well, maybe, um, you know, there is some hope for the media because, um, and look, that's not to take away uh, the press galleries. Uh, cancelling and, and censoring of what she said back at that rally. But Sky News um, are reporting, this gives me some hope, that uh, that, that Queensland uh, Children's Gender Service had 922 patients on its books in 2022 who were prescribed cross-sex hormones. A hundred of 102 of those 900-odd were adolescents, so children, uh, and this is according to documents obtained under Freedom of Information. Now, it's more than twice as many as Melbourne uh, as the Melbourne Children's uh, Hospital Gender Clinic. Um, Kiralee, remind our audience about the side effects of cross-sex hormones on children. Look, it's horrifying. The, the, some of the drugs used are the same drugs used for chemically castrating violent male criminals in prison. Uh, these drugs are used for prostate cancer and have terrible side effects. As I said, they can cause sterility, zero sexual function, particularly in boys. Um, 
Dr. Marcy Bowers has said that no boy who takes these drugs for any uh, amount of time will ever experience an orgasm as an adult. Um, there's brain and bone development issues as well, as well as cholesterol, heart issues. There's, there's, they're mounting. The evidence is mounting. It's really horrifying. Well, we'll continue to follow the case of Gillian Spencer, but this is outrageous that she has been stood down from her job at that gender clinic in Queensland. These gender clinics, are, we need this inquiry that you and others have been calling for. Um, Kiralee, still in Queensland, this is more bad news, but the Palaszczuk Labor government uh, just this week, late this week, has passed these gender self-ID laws. Um, the, the LNP opposition voted against it, but not wholeheartedly. They, they mounted no campaign against it. They didn't stand up for the rights of girls and women. And then they basically agreed with the proposition underpinning this terrible legislation. Here's the LNP Shadow Attorney General Tim Nichols speaking in Parliament, showing his complete ignorance. We endorse the findings that there is no evidence whatsoever that trans women are any more likely to commit offences than other women are. And the studies all show that though. Now, that's just a flat out lie, isn't it? Absolutely. Rachel Wong of the Women's Forum and Sal Grover did some amazing work in this, a submission where there's 17 pages of just name after name after example after example, both from Australia and around the world, where males who appropriate these female stereotypes, whether it's in prisons or in sport, uh, in the community, uh, you know, exposing themselves in women's change room, it just goes on and on and on. There are hundreds of examples. There is so much evidence. And both the LNP and Labor uh, trotted out this lie that there's no evidence to support that. It's really disturbing. Yeah, and again, this is another failure of the media. It's another failure of politics. We saw Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, lose her job over almost identical laws, and yet Anastasia Palaszczuk has got these through the parliament without even a fight. Shame on the LNP in Queensland for not taking up the fight, and shame on the media for not reporting the truth. But, uh, Kiralee, some, some uh, good news, perhaps, is uh, about the fight back that's happening, and you're part of this. There's an important event at the New South Wales Parliament House next week. Tell us about what's happening. Oh, well, I'm really excited to be a part of an event that's sponsored by uh, John Ruddick from the Liberal Democrats. He's an MLC, yeah, good man. state uh, New South Wales. And he um, is sponsoring us, eight of us, I think, are going. Um, and we're all women. Uh, it's called Why Can't Women Talk About Sex? And we're all women who are being penalised, whether it's socially, uh, with litigation and uh, losing jobs or having jobs threatened, because we speak about the reality of women's sex-based rights and what it is to be a woman. It's, it's quite staggering, but it'll be a really wonderful event with people like Sal Grover, who's currently in the federal court, Louise Elliott from Tasmania. She's the Hobart City Councillor who has to answer to hate or inciting hate for simply saying that males shouldn't be in female bathrooms. Uh, Moira Deeming, uh, you know, we, we all know her story. Uh, Catherine Dees is going to be um, also helping MC and host the event. We know that she's copped a lot of flack for her position in this area too. So others like Jasmine Sussex, the breastfeeding expert who uh, was sacked from her position for saying that males can't breastfeed. Uh, Angie Jones, who was, uh, you know, other women who have been involved in these Let Women Speak events who have been smeared and tarnished and defamed for simply saying that men are not women. 
Well, this is fantastic that this uh, forum is being held uh, next uh, Wednesday, I believe, in the... Um, Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, my apologies. Next Thursday, the 22nd <laughs> of June, uh, about 12.30pm, uh, have I got that time right? That's Twelve, correct, And yes. uh, I can announce here too that uh, ADH-TV will be covering that event live. It'll be live streaming right. from 12.30 on ADH-TV. So make sure you tune in and watch that event uh, or get along to New South Wales Parliament House. I'll be there. And uh, this is this will be an important opportunity to, again, try and get uh, the media and politics to take notice. Kiralee, um, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But look, thank you again for giving us your insights uh, here today on the show. Thanks so much, Lyle. Well, that's it for me for this week. Don't forget to check out the amazing array of leading voices right here on ADH-TV. You can stream online or watch on your device using the ADH-TV app. You can follow me on Twitter at Lyle Shelton. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. The Family First blog contains heaps of relevant political commentary. That's at familyfirstparty.org.au. That's familyfirstparty.org.au. I'll be back next week streaming at 12 noon and anytime on demand. Until then, thanks for your company and remember, keep speaking up.